I will be reading Jude verses 3 through 4. That's Jude uh, verses 3 through 4. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common, common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into, into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. In your New Testament, there are four one-chapter books. The longest of those four one-chapter books is the book of Jude. So they're all short books. They're all what we might call postcards. But the longest of the four is Jude. And Jude is writing about a problem that the church cannot afford to ignore. You know, we, we hear these days about sleeper cells. You've heard that, that term used to describe terrorists that, that find a way to infiltrate society and maybe they're going to be activated at some point and they're going to carry out some terrorist attack. They're, they're within the society, but nobody can see them until the attack happens. Or maybe we hear about cancer and how the cancer cells can infiltrate our bodies and we don't even know they're there until all of a sudden there's a symptom that presents or we go for an examination at the doctor and the doctor finds evidence that these cells have infiltrated our bodies. Just like terrorist sleeper cells, just like cancer cells can infiltrate our bodies, people who believe and teach and promote false ideas, we can call them apostates, they are a danger in every congregation and they always have been. The idea that people can come in and they can be very quiet and they can quietly push an agenda and they can promote things that are deadly spiritually, that's a danger that the church must face. And I don't know that there's a more relevant New Testament book for the church to pay attention to today than the book of Jude. Because Jude writes this book to show us how to survive and how to even thrive when apostates are present. When apostasy is happening, when people are departing from the faith, when they're departing from the Word of God, how can the people of God respond? How can the people of God thrive? How can we please God when unseen threats are all about us? You know, it wasn't that long ago that Oprah Winfrey was interviewing a denominational preacher. And she was talking to this denominational preacher about gay marriage. And she was asking him some questions about what, what does the church, and in her way of thinking of the church, what does the church teach about gay marriage? And, and this preacher said, and I don't agree with a whole lot of what he had to say, but he said that marriage, whether it's, whether it's between a man and a woman, whether it's, it's, it's gay, either kind is a blessing to the world. And the world and the society and the church are going to find that out. And then Oprah came back and she said, well, where is the church on that right now? And the preacher came back and said, well, I think society has already figured this out, that gay marriage is a blessing. And the church, he said, is going to continue to become more and more irrelevant 
as long as we continue to quote documents that are 2,000 years old. That's apostasy. That's what apostasy looks like. The idea that both morally and doctrinally we're going to abandon the teachings of God's Word in order to support things that our society and our culture feel like are worthy of support, that's what apostasy is. And I bring up that example because I want all of us to understand the kinds of things that Jude is dealing with. He's saying there are going to be people that have these kinds of ideas and we need to, as God's people, handle them and handle these situations in a way that pleases God. Jude was writing a letter different from the one we have in our Bible. As a matter of fact, if you look at Jude verse 3, listen to what he says. He says, Beloved, I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. In other words, he had a whole separate letter, and he was writing to the church, and he wanted them to understand about salvation, about what it means to, to know Jesus and to have a relationship with him. But then Jude found out about something that was troubling the church. He found out about this apostasy that was taking place. These people that were bringing all kinds of ungodly ideas into the church. And he said, instead, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. What do we find when we read the book of Jude? In verses 1 through 4, Jude defines what apostasy looks like. He defines it for us. In verses 1 through 4, that's what these four verses do. He introduces himself and he introduces his audience. They are the saints. They are the called. They are the elect. They are Christians. And then in Jude verse 4, he talks about what apostasy looks like. Read verse 4 with me. He says, For certain men have crept in unnoticed. They have infiltrated. They've come into the assembly. They've placed their membership. They've obeyed the gospel. However, they became part of this local congregation. These certain men have crept in unnoticed through the side door, one translation has. And as they've come in unnoticed, Jude says, they were long ago marked out for this condemnation. They are ungodly men. And notice what they do. Two things. They turn the grace of God into, Kyle's translation had sensuality, mine has lewdness. So they take God's grace and they turn it into lewdness. They're saying that you can live an immoral life. They're saying that things that the Bible clearly teaches are wrong, they're not really that big of a deal. Because after all, God's grace will take care of us. God loves us, God has saved us, and God's grace cleanses our sins. So don't worry about repentance. Don't worry about changing your attitude and your behavior. That's turning God's grace into sensuality or lewdness. Giving people a license to sin and saying God's grace is just going to take care of it. That's one of the things they're doing. The second thing they're doing is they're denying, and depending on your translation, it might be worded in several different ways. They deny the Lord God and our only Lord, Jesus Christ. Notice that one of those two items is moral in nature, turning the grace of God into lewdness. The other item is doctrinal in nature, denying the Lord God and the only Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. Apostasy can either begin from doctrinal inaccuracies 
or it can begin from moral failings. It can, it can begin in different places. Sometimes people decide, for whatever reason, that they're going to change the doctrine that God's Word holds forth. I'm not going to listen to, I'm not going to abide by, I'm not going to obey God's Word. And they change doctrine, and when we change doctrine, it always results in a lifestyle change. The doctrine that we hold, the things that we believe deep down inside, if they're not in conformity with what God's Word says, are going to lead to immorality. It always does. Take false doctrine and play it out all the way to its end result, and it always ends up in immorality. On the other hand, some people decide that they want to change their lifestyle. They change their lifestyle, and because they want to change their lifestyle, they go searching for passages, and they go searching for doctrines in Scripture that support and comfort the way that they want to live. So, I've decided I want to do this, I've decided this is who I am, and this is what I'm going to do to try to justify. Apostasy happens for a couple of different reasons. Sometimes people change the teaching of Scripture. Sometimes they change their lifestyles. Either way... It's apostasy. It's a departure from the faith that was once for all revealed to the saints, Jude verse 3. And so having defined apostasy, Jude then, in verses 5 through 16, look at Jude 5 through 16 in your Bible. What you find in Jude 5 through 16 is basically Jude raising the highest alarm that he can raise for his brethren. As a matter of fact, this is, in the Scripture, this is the most withering diatribe against apostates and against false teachers that you read anywhere in Scripture. And what Jude wants his brethren to know is he wants them to know in no uncertain terms, you do not want to play around with these apostates. You don't want to play around with their doctrine. You don't want to say, let's just wait and see how things work out. Jude wants his brethren to understand how dangerous the situation is. And so it's as if he can't say enough bad about what these people represent and what they're doing. Watch this. In verses 5 through 16, he describes apostasy. And this is, the, this is the bulk of the book of Jude. He's describing these apostates, these people who are departing from the true, true faith, from the Word of God, and they're changing what God teaches. What are they like? In verses 5 and following, he says this. It's a veritable who's who of ungodliness in the Bible. They are like unbelieving Israel, verse 5, these apostates are. But not only that, they are like the angels who sinned, who became proud before God, and they sinned and were cast down and are held and reserved in chains under darkness until the last day. Who are these apostates like? They are like Sodom and Gomorrah, those wicked cities that would not repent of their sin, they would not change. That's who they're like. Who are these apostates like? They're like Cain. Back in verse 11, as you, back in the Old Testament book of Genesis, Cain was the one who killed, murdered his brother Abel. They are like Balaam, verse 11. Balaam, who was paid to curse the people of God. He was a prophet. He was supposed to be blessing the people of God, but somebody could buy him off. And so Balaam tried to curse God's people. Who are they like? They're like Korah, who rebelled against God and against God's leadership. In Hebrews chapter 11, we have faith's hall of fame. We have Samson and Gideon and Joseph and Abraham and Isaac and Jake. All those heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. In Jude, you have 
the hall of fame for ungodly people and ungodly groups. But Jude doesn't stop there. Even when you get to verse 11, he's gone through all these individuals and all these people he's naming. He's saying, that's what you're dealing with. That's, that's the kind of danger that you're facing. Pay attention, my brethren. And then he turns it into a metaphor. Starting in verse 12, notice what he does. What are these apostates like? Beginning in verse 12. Let me see if I can explain it another way. I want to make my point, Jude says. I want you to understand how dangerous this is. They are like hidden rocks. Those of you who own boats, those of you who have been at sea, you know how dangerous rocks just under the surface can be. You want to stay away. We put channel markers out there so that people can stay away from hidden rocks. That's who these apostates are like. They are like selfish shepherds, depending on your translation. They're serving only themselves. They ought to be caring for others. They ought to be paying attention to what's best for others. But all they do is they serve themselves. They are like clouds without water. When you're in the middle of a drought and you think it's going to rain, you ever have a Texas day like that? It really gets dark and you hear maybe a rumble of thunder, but no drops of water fall. That's what these apostates are like. They're promising things. They're saying, everything's going to be good. Everything's going to be better. Just listen to what we're teaching. But they're clouds without water. They don't deliver what they promise. They are like late autumn trees, Jude says, without fruit. They are like waves producing filth. I think about that verse every time I go down to Galveston. Galveston's a nice beach. No, it's not. It's not a nice beach. Galveston's a beach, okay? And when the waves come in in Galveston, there's a lot of foam and there's a lot of garbage sometimes that come in. And when you think about it, I think about this passage. These, these false teachers, these apostates, they're, they're constantly talking and they're constantly moving and they're constantly making things happen, but they're just foaming up their own shame. It's just gross what they're producing. They're waves producing filth. He says they're like wandering stars. Stars that don't have a fixed point of reference, that don't have a fixed location. They're just wandering through the cosmos, wandering stars without any kind of stability, without any kind of fixed point. He wants us to hear this message. He wants us to know, as the people of God in Katy, Texas, when somebody has an agenda that is false, when somebody has a doctrine or a lifestyle that they're promoting that is not according to what we read in Scripture, we can't just say, well, we're just going to have to agree to disagree and that be the end of it. There's danger. Just as much as a sleeper cell of terrorists, just as much as cancer infiltrating somebody's body, the people of God are to contend earnestly for the faith, Jude verse 3. God expects that of his church. And so then the question becomes, all right, Jude, you're saying that these apostates, you're saying that these false teachers are ungodly, you're saying that they're like hidden rocks, that they're extremely dangerous. What do we do? And that's what the last part of the book does. It shows you how apostasy is defeated. In verses 17 through 19, Jude says, don't be surprised when this happens. As a matter of fact, read with me if you would. In Jude verse 17, he says, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what the apostles said? Go back, for example, to Acts chapter 20 
and read verses 31 through 35, where Paul reminds the elders in Ephesus that from among themselves, grievous wolves were going to enter in, not sparing the flock. You can even go back and read in Matthew chapter 7 how Jesus says that there are going to be wolves in sheep's clothing among the people of God. Matthew 7, verses 15 through 20. The apostles told us about this. Jesus told us about this. Don't be surprised when this happens, when you find people that are going to be mockers, verse 18, the last time, who are going to walk according to their own godly lusts. They're sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. So don't be surprised when you see this. Okay, well, how is apostasy defeated? What should God's people do? If we're not going to be surprised, then what should we do? Look at verse 21 very carefully. In Jude verse 21, Jude says, keep yourselves in the love of God. That's the first thing he wants us to do. Keep yourselves in the love of God. You know, as you read the book of Jude, there are some things that God keeps and there are some things that we keep. As you read Jude Jude verse 1, for example, Those who are preserved, those who are kept in Jesus Christ. God keeps us in Jesus Christ when we continue to follow his will and we walk in the light. Down in verse 24 of Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. There are some things God keeps, but there are some things that we're supposed to keep. And the Bible says we're supposed to keep ourselves in the love of God. God is like a sun. He never stops shining. But if we're not careful, we can walk away from the sunshine and we can find ourselves in shadow because we're not staying close to him. We're not staying in a relationship with him. The prodigal son in Luke 15, his father never stopped loving him. His father never closed his door to his son, but the son walked away and went into the far country. He didn't keep himself in his father's love. So the idea here is that we're to keep ourselves in the love of God. And Jude tells us practically how that happens. First of all, he says, if you back up to verse 20, he says, we keep ourselves in the love of God, first of all, by building ourselves up in the most holy faith. What in the world does that mean, building yourselves up in the most holy faith? Certainly, it has to do with encouraging one another. Certainly, we are to continue to talk to each other about God's word and talk to each other about our faith and talk to each other about the dangers that lurk all around. This also means, listen carefully, We need to be invested in God's word. Build yourselves up in the most holy faith has to do with Bible study. Just put your finger there in Jude and go with me for a moment to Acts chapter 20 and look at verse 32. Just turn over there if you would. Acts chapter 20 and verse 32. How do we build ourselves up in the most holy faith? What does God expect of the church in times when there are apostates, when there are false teachers, when there are people who would twist and pervert the scriptures and say, it doesn't really mean what you say it means. It doesn't really mean what it obviously is teaching here. How do we handle that? Look at Acts 20, verse 32. So brethren... I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. How do we build ourselves up in the most holy faith? We got to get into the word. 
We've got to open our Bibles and we've got to know what this book teaches. And we've got to have a working knowledge of what God expects of his people. And we've got to have an awareness when somebody comes along and teaches something that's false, that's immoral, that's doctrinally inaccurate. We need to have an awareness because we've been building ourselves up in our most holy faith. The straightforward way to do this is by reading God's word continually in our lives. God desires that of us. Build yourselves up in the most holy faith. But that's not all that we do to keep ourselves in the love of God. If you go back to Jude and you look at the passage again, it says we are to pray in the Holy Spirit. In verse 20, that's what it says. What does that mean, praying in the Holy Spirit? There's a contrast. The contrast in verse 20, praying in the Holy Spirit, is a contrast with the people that he just got through talking about in verse 19. These sensual people who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. So the idea of praying in the Holy Spirit is that my life and my actions and my attitudes are all in accordance with what the Holy Spirit would have them to be. The Spirit has revealed the Word to us. He's taught us by Scripture what God desires of us. And these sensual apostates that are constantly teaching things that are wrong, they do not have the Spirit, Jude says in verse 19. But you keep walking the walk, keep living the life. And when you pray, you're praying in the Holy Spirit in that sense. Your life matches up with what the Spirit would have your life to be. And by the way, you might even reference this in, in uh, Romans chapter 8 and verse 34, the Bible says, or in Romans chapter 8, excuse me, in verse 26 and 27. The Holy Spirit, when we pray, He intercedes for us, the Scripture says, with groanings that cannot be uttered. We don't always know what we ought to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit is able to intercede for us. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep praying. Don't stop reading God's word. Don't stop talking to God, Jude says. And then he says, waiting for, looking for the mercy of Jesus Christ. He's talking about the second coming. How do I fight? How do I deal with? How do I keep myself pure in the midst of apostasy? Keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep reading the Bible. Keep praying to God. Keep looking for the second coming of Jesus Christ. He hasn't come so far today, but that doesn't mean the day's over. And if he doesn't come today, we'll be looking for him to come tomorrow. And if he doesn't come tomorrow, we'll be looking for him to come the next day, looking for the mercy of Jesus Christ. He's coming back. Keep yourselves in the love of God. How is apostasy defeated? Secondly, we are to love those who are in doubt. Look at verse 22. There are people in the church who were getting carried away by these apostates. They're listening to what's being said, and they're starting to buy into it. They're not sure. Maybe they're young in the faith. Maybe they've not been taught. Maybe this is a doctrine or this is an idea that they've just not thought about very much before. And so Jude says, on some of your brethren have compassion, making a distinction. There are people who get caught up in some false teachings and false ideas, and they don't have any idea that that's what they've done. Jude says, treat them with compassion, treat them with kindness. But then look at verse 23. 
We're also supposed to love those who are in danger and in defilement. In verse 23, it says, But others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. What Jude is saying is, when you're dealing with people who believe and are teaching and are practicing things that are false, we need to make a wise distinction. Not everybody that believes these things believes them to the same degree. Some people have just been swept up in things that are going on. Some people have very innocently bought into, it sounds logical, it sounds reasonable, have compassion. Other people may be pushing and promoting an agenda. They are working like cancer in the church, and the Bible says, pull them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. If you've got a three-year-old, and a three-year-old has ever gotten close to the fire, and you see that three-year-old heading, 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 and you know, you know he's not going to stop. Mom and dad don't just say, well, now, come on back over here. Mom and dad jump up from where they are, and they go, and they snatch that child out of the fire. That's the idea that Jude is describing in verse 23. We need to deal with one another wisely in the midst of apostasy. And then look at verses 24 and 25. Two of my favorite verses in the entire book of Jude, it's called a doxology. It's a song, an anthem of praise. And here's what Jude would have us to learn. Whatever happens, when people all around you are losing their heads, don't lose your joy in the Lord. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Don't lose your joy in the Lord. We serve a great God who can preserve us, who can keep us from stumbling. All he asks of us is to be faithful to him, to follow Jesus Christ loyally, and to watch out for danger among ourselves. That's his request. That's his desire. Don't lose your joy in the Lord. How do Christians survive? How can Christians thrive in the midst of apostasy? Jude is a tremendously practical book for just answering that question. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not a New Testament Christian yet. You've not yet obeyed the gospel. Jesus begs you to come to him. He's done the work. He died for you so that you can have a relationship with him. If you would like to be added to the church that belongs to Jesus Christ, if you'd like to have the forgiveness of sins that he promises and is only available in him, if you desire those things, come to Christ in faith, submit your will to his, repent of your sin, be baptized for the remission of your sin. If you're ready to make that commitment or if you'd like to ask for prayers, Heaven's invitation is yours while together we stand and while we sing.